0: I'm Tristan Navarro with Columbus Business First. Here we've got a very interesting newsmaker this week that's going to be hard to forget. Uh, Brian Higgins has been involved in some of the most distinctive developments around the city, and he's definitely been a pioneer in a lot of its uh, struggling neighborhoods. So let's get his take. Tell me about yourself and your background. Sure, it's
1: fitting that we're here in your arena district offices because it kind of began, I suppose, for me here. I was rotting away in a cube at Cardinal (laughs) Health in my early 20s and uh, was riding my bike downtown one day and I saw a sign on the Battleship building on Front Street. Mm -hmm. It said Citizens for Downtown's Future, and it was uh, uh, essentially a public effort to fund what became Nationwide Arena And it was a different iteration, a different plan. There was uh, initially an idea to build a stadium for the crew, but they had only been around a year at Mm -hmm. that time. This is 97, spring of 97. And so when it went, you know, and and the NHL came and there were rallies uh, and people were excited, but at the end of the day, there was a vote uh, and people voted down this initiative that would have funded and financed uh, the arena and the stadium, a couple weeks later, Nationwide steps up with yeah. this big plan. They're gonna they're gonna build an arena, and subsequently this arena district. And then the crew kind of bopped around. They they were trying to go to Dublin, it didn't work out. They were looking at a site in Gahanna and London all around until they ended up at the fairgrounds. And then you know now, ironically, they're circling back around to the yeah. arena district. Yeah, so yeah. you know we could have saved a lot of time,
0: <laughs> but <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. I, it probably all worked out for the best. It keeps on going, yeah.
1: So that got me really interested in development. And so, uh, you know, I started thinking about what what could I do to to sort of get involved in stuff, and I was listening to WOSU one day in the car, and I heard uh, they were interviewing uh, a guy who was a professor uh, of city and regional planning at Ohio State, and I thought, wow, that sounds exactly like what I want to do. And so I ended up quitting my job, going to school full-time in uh, 98. I graduated with a master's in city and regional planning in 2000. Yeah. And uh,
0: that's really kicked it off. Tell me about uh, just specifically kind of your, your connection to Columbus. I mean, we, we, we see and hear you quite a bit around uh, the Parsons Avenue area specifically, but, but really all the neighborhoods, specifically around downtown, we've seen you've been very active. Yeah, you know, um, after grad school, I started working for a national
1: nonprofit called Enterprise Community Partners. Yeah. And there we would try to provide access to capital and technical assistance and in some ways, you know, we would even we would get involved um, uh, deeply with uh, community based nonprofits that were doing projects. And so, you know, that led me to work in Franklinton and Wineland mm-hmm. Park and the Hilltop, the Near East Side, the South Side, you know, yeah. sure, you're really all these sort of downtown and g- neighborhoods um, that were disinvested. And so I got to know a lot of the players. I ended up my first job, really, um, I interned it during. Uh, Grad school was in London, so yeah. I got to see uh, how things were working with then uh, city council president Mike Coleman and Clarence Lumpkin and other leaders, and got involved. In, you know, and there's a big um, sort of new urbanist node at Cleveland and 11th Avenue. Yeah, yeah. And the first building uh, that I ever, you know, got to be involved in the construction of is there. It's on the northeast corner. Mm-hmm. It's the Clarence D Lumpkin Point of Pride building. So. Mm-hmm. If you wander around there, you'll find a couple of commemorative bricks with my name on it. Oh, yeah. Final <laughs> evidence that I was, I was once was there. Here. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so worked at Enterprise for a number of years. Recession came. Like, about a third of the staff, I got laid off and thought, yeah. well, you know, what a time to... Uh, we're in the middle of this global recession. Mm-hmm. Why don't I go out on my own and start my own business? Yeah. But it worked out, actually. You know, I, I, um, I had developed a lot of relationships uh, in the different neighborhoods, and so started, you know, expanding on that work, doing some market research stuff as well. And then I was doing a lot of what we broadly call, you know, just consulting. So uh, I had a lot of, I still do some work with HUD, but at the time they had deployed a lot of resources to try to address the foreclosure crisis. Mm -hmm. So I would travel all around the country, really, um, working with communities on strategies to, you know, how do we use this money to revitalize our communities? Many of which were decimated by the foreclosure crisis, and so you know that eventually the thing about uh, I learned about being a, a self-employed person is that every year I'd have this idea of how the following year was supposed to go.
0: Yeah,
1: it never worked out that way. You know, there's <laughs> things I thought were going to happen didn't, and new opportunities presented themselves. And so you know, it's it's dynamic to say the least. And you know, one of the places you're right. I have spent a lot of time is on the south side. Right around 2009. Actually, late 2008, the hospital marched a lot of housing people in to talk to, uh, at the time, CFO, Tim Robinson, and mm-hmm. they were looking for best practices, you know. They were about to undergo a billion-dollar expansion of their campus, and they looked around and realized a third of the housing units in the neighborhood immediately south of the hospital were vacant, and they thought, well, look, we're, gosh, we're we're a children's hospital. This isn't our core competency. but We want to have a nice community, a community where people feel safe when they come and that we can have a symbiotic relationship with. So they ended up creating a new nonprofit that's been in existence, you know, since 2009 to address the the vacant housing crisis. And it's evolved over time. I think to this point in time, um, we have touched in one way, shape or form 350 houses. Mm. I say we because they asked me to join the board in 2009. And here we are pushing 2020 and I'm, yeah. I'm still there. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, we'd go to these board meetings and I'd say, gosh, you know, we're doing great work with housing, but, but you only see it if you kind of get off the yellow brick road. Yeah. People, most people will just drive down Parsons or Livingston and Parsons at the time was in rough shape, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I, get kept complaining about it and finally somebody said, well, you know, why don't you do something about it? And yeah. I thought, Oh gosh, I shouldn't have opened my big mouth. <laughs> But uh, the solution that we came up with was we created a, a new nonprofit, the Parsons Avenue Redevelopment Corporation, or or PARC for short. By the way, I hate uh, long-named organizations that don't have a catchy acronym. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the hospital's uh, nonprofit is the Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families, Realty Collaborative. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't spell anything. <laughs> and it's just long and hard to say. Yeah, you know? So yeah. PARC, that was easy. Park. Um, and we worked at the city and, and the hospital. The first thing we did was uh, we acquired... It was an adult bookstore at Parsons and Beck, and it had been there for years and years and years. Oddly enough, adult books and children's hospital didn't, it was like an <laughs> incongruent fit, right? No. So that was, um, that was our target, number one. We, we acquired it, shut it down, and then um, ended up uh, a group of young entrepreneurs bought the balance of the block. We ended up working with them on a development strategy. And that adult bookstore is now a vegetarian restaurant called commune. Mm-hmm. So you can go there and, um, there's some good before and after pictures I have that yeah. are kind of entertaining, but yeah, you know, it, um, and it's been, um, sort of transactional real estate to try to remove impediments so that the market can come in. Obviously, you know, there's, gosh, I'm not sure how many hospital employees there are right now on main campus, 13, 14,000, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I think get about a million visitors a year. And so that's all positive. You see continued interest in people living in the urban core and it's not 1985, right? There's not just German village and Victorian village. Mm-hmm. People are priced out of those communities in, in many cases. So in the South Side example, you saw people move to Schumacher place and then, you know, they moved on, uh, uh down to Marion village, you mm-hmm. know, and then now a lot of people are, are, crossing into Southern orchards. So what yeah. we've tried to, you know, we, both with park and with the efforts that we've engaged with the hospital and we, we try to maintain affordability and everything we do mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of people um, maybe don't understand the importance of affordable housing. And we think about, um, we're always trying to, we, we all seem to understand job growth and the importance yeah. of that. So let's say we attract a company and, and they are going to, you know, add 10,000 jobs or whatever over some period of time. That's great. But then, when the employees get here, a um, maybe they don't, they can't find any place to live. If, depending on you know, they're not all top executives with yeah. a lot of housing options. So if you're just uh, if you're in that cube with me back at Cardinal Health, you know what are you what are you going to do? Yeah. Making uh, you know just an average salary. So um, if you have trouble, uh, it kind of flows downhill. One thing affects the other. If you have a job, and then you, people can't afford to live here, then the jobs don't want to be here. And so you'll have a harder time recruiting people and in in jobs in the future and your, your, your community will stagnate. Mm -hmm. You know, I was born in Youngstown. Uh, and so I, I seen the effect that the ebb and flow of jobs can have on a community. And not that Columbus is any danger, you know, Youngstown is, was reliant on one industry that was, Mm -hmm. you know, in a decline for some period of time. And, and so when you'd lose, you know, Youngstown Sheet and Tube or, or something like that. It was a cataclysmic effect on the community. We're not going to face anything like that, I can't imagine. But but there is this this um, need to, I think, prepare for the future, you know, when um, when we're older guys and, uh, and yeah. you know, and, and we're looking at the community. Well, we have done the things today to help ensure that we can be successful in the future mm-hmm. because a lot of our peer cities, some of them are doing better jobs and some of them are doing worse jobs. I, mm-hmm. I see all the time about... Um, Seattle in particular, and the affordability issues they have, and there's yeah. literally people protesting in the streets. Um, meanwhile, you think you know from a you think Seattle is a pretty successful community, right? With mm-hmm. all the Microsoft stuff and the Starbucks and the Amazon, and that's all good on the surface. But the underlying challenge is people then will have to have to find affordable housing. Maybe they have yeah. tremendous commutes. It's not just Los Angeles where people are commuting an hour, an hour and a half to get to jobs. Um, so you know. Again, we're not in any danger of that today, but I think if we don't, we've been a good community for planning for the future, right? Yeah. Our, our water and, use of water and sewer and annexation over time has allowed Columbus to prosper, and and there's there's you know some challenges in that and, and how we address the school systems in particular, and mm-hmm. one could argue there's some disparity there. But every mall in Central Ohio is in the city of Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's unique. I, I was I mentioned I was born in Youngstown, but I grew up in Pittsburgh. And, you know, Pittsburgh is a, a city of many fiefdoms. Yeah. You know, there's a the core city, but then all these townships and boroughs and, and, uh, and they're all competing for resources. And so you, you end up nothing, you know, Pittsburgh can't control the regional growth like we can. Yeah. The fact that the mo- majority of the freeway system in Franklin County is still in the city of Columbus. All those jobs, they look like they're in Dublin on 270, but they're really in the city of Columbus. Yeah. And so, um, you know, th- those Polaris, Easton, of course, downtown. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's all great because that's all revenue for the city. And, mm. and it's allowed us to be responsive to the needs of the community. But 20 years from now, I, we will reap the, sow, the seeds we sow yeah. now,
0: right? Yeah, that's, so that's something I'm definitely interested in. So you, you have played a very specific role in development. And in the neighborhoods that you've been in, a lot of times, it's really kind of the overlooked kind of side of it. I mean, you're one of the first pioneers who comes in. Um, Obviously, people weren't looking at Parsons Avenue the way that they look at it now, when you were the first one there. Um, And then at the same time, you know, some of these, you know, Franklinton and and some of these neighborhoods kind of heat up, um, and and kind of the traditional real estate mindset folks come in, um, you're there saying like, hey, we need to keep affordable housing here, you know. Tell me about just your view on city development. You've seen a couple of cities um, that develop differently, and Columbus. You know, there's a lot of talk now about how Columbus develops. Yeah, we
1: live in an era where it's very easy to determine everyone's opinions in the comment section, yeah. right? Yeah. And so these folks were probably always out there, but now they have a voice and an opportunity for us to all see what folks are thinking. And everybody's got an opinion, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, as I worked in these various neighborhoods, I started to think, "Gosh, advocating for something is one thing, but actually." Having a hand in how the community develops is another. And so I built a lot of stuff within the nonprofit realm. And there you're using other resources, other people's uh, money, essentially, uh, often public money, because you're doing things with a public purpose. But then I started to think, there's no reason why I can't do this myself, perhaps. And so... You know, a good example is last year we opened the out-of-town apartments in Franklinton, and I partnered with Metropolitan Holdings. Uh, it was great. The city had acquired about a 0.8 acres in Franklinton, and they put out an RFP. And so we competed. We put together a proposal and competed against a few other developers and, and won the proposal. And uh, in exchange for the acquisition of the land at a discounted price, the city mandated that we maintain 50% of the units be affordable to households earning eighty percent of area median income. That's a lot of percentages and numbers, yeah. but but essentially, uh, what is eighty percent of area median income? If you are a single person, it's about forty two thousand dollars a year. And so, yeah, if you're if you're um, struggling and, and you, you make fifteen dollars an hour, like this is probably not affordable. But it is it is what we we're asked to do. And it, 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 there's many levels of affordability, I suppose, out there. And just because of the way the market in Franklin is at the moment, I think it's more like 90% of the units are actually affordable in their pricing yeah. to, to households at that level. So, so there, I, it was more than just advocacy, right? We actually got to do a project. And yeah. and you know, and, and so whenever I do project real estate projects uh, on my own, I think, um, how can we maintain affordability? And of course, the city has now said, if you want tax abatement, you have to do 10% of your units- at 100% AMI, uh, and, and, and 10% at 80%, and that's okay, or you have to pay into this affordability fund. Okay, but I wonder if we can do better, you know? So we have a project on East Broad Street, uh, just next to Broad Street Presbyterian Church, and and there our goal is to do all the units between uh, 80 and 120% of area median income, and we're partnering with the Finance Fund. They're a statewide nonprofit, and they're missional in, in their activities, and so, you know, to the extent we can uh, access, uh, perhaps capital that is below market, that'll allow us to further depress those rents. Mm. So, you know, it's still a good project. It'll be nice. In fact, we have our final zoning tonight at the Near East Area Commission. So, hopefully, uh, by the time this airs, uh, it will be approved. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so we'll have a, 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 it'll, it'll be an attractive looking project. It'll it'll have a high level of affordability. Again is it affordable to everyone? No, but it certainly will hit, hit that range. And so that's the goal is to, as we move forward, personally, what I want to do is when I do a development, how can I make it as affordable as possible? Because I think I can do more than advocate or, or plan or, or consult. You know, I, I have the ability at this point in my life to actually develop. And so it allows me to do all the things I was doing and thinking about, you know, twenty-two years ago, during that campaign to build the arena, um, it's Got kind it. of come full full circle, and so now I get to to actually uh, be engaged in in that arena. Not to make a pun out of the yeah, word arena, but I get you.
0: Tell me about you know the view that you had, particularly growing up in Youngstown and Pittsburgh. How did those experiences kind of inform the way you look at community building here?
1: Well, the funny thing about Columbus is, um, you know, once upon a time we had these things called phone books. Hmm. And they were a list of everyone's name who lived in the community, and I was in my dorm at Ohio State, and I was just thumbing through like, who do I know that's famous in, in Central Ohio? And I was like, well, Dave Thomas, <laughs> but there were seventy-five Dave Thomases, right? So I, that didn't help me at all. Huh. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know many people here. And I thought, well, who's who's the mayor of Columbus? It was Greg Lashutka, you know. So I I looked it up, and by golly, he was in the phone book. And I hmm. thought. This would never happen in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And somebody said to me, somebody from Central Ohio said, well, why not? I said, because, you know, people would call up the mayor all the time and go, there's a pothole on my street. (laughs) You Get out there and fill that pothole. And I thought, you know, people constantly harass public officials. I couldn't believe the mayor was in the phone book. Uh, But that's Central Ohio. That's Columbus, right? It's it's very friendly and accessible in a way that the fact that I got to know Mayor Coleman a little bit, even, you know. I never could have dreamed of meeting the mayor of Pittsburgh. Yeah. You know, I saw her once at a, you know, like at a 4th of July event or something. And I, I was shocked. Like it's, wow, she's a real person. And, but here it wasn't that hard to meet the mayor, you know, and and everyone's real accessible, you know, and, 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 and sort of open and friendly. And I think that's just, that's part of the Columbus experience, right? I think it's why we have a a successful and positive LGBTQ community is because people are open and accepting and like, Hey, you want to be part of this and and if you're a nice person and you're cool and mm-hmm. hey, that's all we're really looking for. Yeah. Where older parochial cities are more challenging. I I've done some work for example with the city of Cleveland and you know, I they have a lot of layers to their city government yeah. that Columbus doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And I think it's again because the height of of Cleveland's power or population anyway was 1950 and so in some ways cleveland city hall operates like in the madman era you yeah know? yeah and even the, the you, you can drive around the city and tell when it it's had when it had money essentially mm-hmm. and uh legacy cities you, you see lots of cool architecture and stuff that maybe we don't have or maybe we did have and we tore it down that's the columbus way too mm-hmm. but um but here you drive around Columbus, and people always say to me, who come from other cities, even we're downtown. They're like, "Wow, it's really clean." Yeah, you know. And <laughs> yeah. I thought I, I hadn't thought about that, but um, but yeah, that's just that's part of our our je ne sais quoi, right? Yeah. Is, is our image, and so we're open, we're friendly, we're clean. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, there is a um, a newness. Just you know, all you have to do is drive from downtown to up through campus, you know, driving to Clintonville, and count the cranes. Yeah. You know it's really uh, amazing the amount of growth that we're experiencing and um and with that comes growing pains and you know i live in the short north and so i hear lots lots of my neighbors are always upset about something you know? yeah yeah but um but that's okay that's human nature too is we don't like change and we like to complain mm-hmm. and i
0: you know,
1: <laughs> listen nobody likes to complain more than me yeah. you should ask my wife but um <laughs> that, that being said, uh, it's the change thing that do people do. I think sometimes have a hard time with and for sure. And, and despite that being part of human nature, we still succeed in being welcoming and uh, as a community and, um, can always do better. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, somebody may listen to this and think about, Oh, they had a personal experience or they know somebody and, and you know, yeah, fair enough. But, but, uh, you know, in in this time, I will make broad, sweeping uh, uh, accusations about yeah. the about the city because that's my experience. I found to be largely true. Yeah,
0: that's that kind of goes into my last big question. Um, you know, we've I've been asking as many people as I can about this. Um, you know, Columbus is leaving this decade with just a lot of wins. I mean, 181,000 new jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, Big developments, finally getting some more skyscrapers. Uh, you name it. I mean, we've gotten we've gotten it this decade. So the momentum, probably being the most important thing. Um, what would you say is does Columbus need to thrive in twenty thirty at this point? Wow, that's a great question because it's it's
1: not. I don't think there's one answer to begin with, right? You know, I've talked about affordable housing. I think that's that's going to be a constant moving forward. You know, transportation. I think is something this community has struggled with, and really the Midwest. In general, we're so auto-centric, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I see some of the things the Smart Columbus folks are up to and, okay, that's good. But, you know, we, once upon a time, we had a great inner city rail system. I have a map of it at the house and it's, it you know, you can really get around huh. uh, in an efficient way. And I understand it's not 1925 anymore and people are attached to their vehicles, but um, I think, you know, having greater mobility options you know having greater transit options people give people the opportunity to not have a car there's lots of places uh, you know I could ride my bike or, or walk but I just frankly I don't have time and so I, I need a vehicle of some sort um, and there are going to be times maybe you can't get away from your car but there are plenty of times you you know when I worked downtown I would ride my bike but the weather would get bad and I would drive but you know I could have taken the bus but it, it didn't it Didn't run uh, often enough, and it didn't take me you know where I needed to go, and there were challenges, and so I, I hope we can address that moving forward. I think m- mobility in general is 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 important, getting people from where they live to where they work. You know, I mentioned Amazon earlier, and you know they they have a bunch of warehouse jobs now on the far west side, but I think technically they're in. They're in Pickaway County. Mm-hmm. So CODA won't service Pickaway County, FYI. Yep. So yep. even if you are on a bus line and they're on a bus line and, and, you know, there's still logistical problems. So, I mean, could they run shuttles around? I mean, they could do things themselves, I suppose, if they wanted to. But but to me, that's that's sort of the purpose of, of public transportation. It's to serve the public. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know. Um, money is often the answer people tell me as to why things don't happen. And so, you know, but we appear to have money to do lots of things when we want to do them. And so you know, I hope that that's, that's an issue that we can, we can wrap our, our heads around moving forward. I also think that we have to be careful about how we grow. So we've done a good job in the past um, when we've, quote unquote, tried to revitalize communities of displacing people. You know, if you go down on Neal Avenue in Victorian Village to where the Giant Eagle used to be, all behind there in the Thurber Village area was once, you know, that was Flytown, and that was part of a dense urban immigrant kind of area. And there were there were certainly some high negatives uh, in terms of um, limited plumbing, shall we say, and, and other things. And it ended up getting bulldozed, and people were displaced, and the freeways have done this as well. Um, and and you know that that created social and economic hardship on families for generations. And so as we look at revitalizing other areas, I hope that we take better consideration of people who are already there. The Near East Side, in particular, is about to experience a ton of growth. Um, I mentioned our project on Broad Street. You know, the, the, the Borer folks have mm-hmm. uh, two-plus acres there, and there's mm-hmm. some other stuff in the works. And there's going to be a lot of new people uh, coming into an area with a lot of people that have been there generationally. And they're likely going to be different people um, mm-hmm. economically, maybe age, probably race. And so how are these groups going to work together? And I know there's concern about maintaining cultural identity and, and historic identity of a community yet recognizing that with new people comes new economic power. And so it'd be a lot easier to support the flower shop in the Teresa building on long street, if there were four times as many people living in the neighborhood. Um, So striking that balance will be uh, a challenge. And I hope that uh, it's a challenge we're up for because I think we have some really cool things uh, in, in neighborhoods like the Near East Side. And I don't want to lose sight of that as a developer or as an advocate of, of, of communities because it's some of those things that make Columbus specifically unique. You know, you can go around to any city in the country and... Find yourself a Walmart-anchored strip mm-hmm. center with a Starbucks in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. You have no idea where you are because mm-hmm. it could be anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So the stuff I think that's really unique about our, our community are some of these these areas that are, are older and have that history and have have some of um, those unique elements about them. And so it's important to to recognize that as we move
0: forward. Brian, right, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me in.